Here we go. Good morning, everybody. Let's go. It's good to see you guys. Oh, man, speaking of dancing, we, I was at my friend's wedding. Kat and Andrew, congratulations. I think I danced for three hours straight. Now, if you know me, my signature dance move at a wedding is the worm. Now, I'm not going to do that. That would put too much pressure. Todd would need to come up here, and you never want to see that. So uh, we won't do that. Uh, but hey, welcome uh, to Palm Sunday, if you didn't know. Palm Sunday. Uh, crazy, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And what did the people shout? Oh, that sounded like Angel Stadium when we were losing. <laughs> Actually, probably when we were winning, too. <laughs> That's a pretty quiet stadium. Yes, they shouted, Hosanna, and it's pretty cool 2,000 years later that we still shout the same word because Jesus is worthy. Amen? Amen. Well, before I start in John, it's so awesome. What I love most about RCC is how much we treasure God's word. And uh, there is a psalm that is one of my favorites that describes the benefits of scripture. So let me just read it to you. It's Psalm 19, verses 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that your word can revive our soul. That your truth can make us wise that it can rejoice our hearts. So God, we are yours this morning. Our hearts are yours. Thank you for working in our life. Amen. Hey, next week, we continue to celebrate Holy Week. So Friday, we hope that you guys can come back and join us at five o'clock in here. We will celebrate Good Friday. Uh, and just a, a heads up, we will be showing some mature content um, from, from the crucifixion. Uh, and so we will let you gauge if you guys have younger kids on uh, what's appropriate and what's not. But uh, we'll just have a wonderful time celebrating and reflecting on the crucifixion. And on Sunday, ugh, it's just the core. Friday and Sunday is the core of what we believe. So come back on Sunday and celebrate the risen Savior with us at 9 or 1030. All right, you guys ready to dig in? Can you guys tell them the student pastor? Do I have enough energy? <laughs> we have any students in here? I see. Hey, here we go. They, they don't even raise their hand. They're embarrassed to be associated. <laughs> well, today we are uh, walking through the story of Nicodemus. Um, I'm Johnny, by the way. I don't know if I said my name. I'm Johnny. I'm one of the pastors around here. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here. If you guys don't know, Todd is up at Vintage Grace and uh, he is actually sharing and preaching with them, so you guys can be praying for him. I'm sure he's preaching right now, uh, so be, be lifting him up in your prayers. But we are walking through the story of Nicodemus. Anybody know Nicodemus? Pretty cool guy in scripture, uh, one of the smartest guys. I don't know if he, you take all of the verses that we have memorized in this room and clump them together. He might still have more verses <laughs> memorized. Uh, so this guy is a guy who gets it. Uh, but, but let's walk through the story. We're in John chapter 3. Uh, we will be doing verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's the lens. Here's the big idea that we are going to be working through. I am so excited to be here with you guys because this reality uh, is life-changing. Any move in our past, present, future, any move that we make toward God, here's what it is. It's actually evidence that he's the one moving and working in our life. So as we walk through the text, this is going to be the perspective, the lens in which we see this through. So let's just start. What do we know about Nicodemus? From the text, we we really get three things from him. We get that he's a ruler of the Jews and a member of the Sanhedrin. Ooh, Sounds special. Okay, so ruler of the Jews, member of the Sanhedrin. He he has authority. He's got a lot of authority. Not just to teach scripture, but but the Sanhedrin also had a governing official. So so he's overseeing the people, and he's one of very few who has such authority. And he's one of the best. We're going to see him later in Israel, but, but even the people of the Sanhedrin look to Nicodemus. So you have this guy who's as religious as it gets, coming to Jesus because he's seen something in Jesus that makes him pretty curious. And so when does he come? You guys remember in the text, what time of the day? He comes by night. Now, now this is kind of a debated uh, topic here. What, oh, what does it mean to come by night? Was he accusing it? No, you know what? I think he was just not sold yet. And, and, and he is in this position, and so his reputation could be on the line if he, if he starts a conversation in public and it gets too riled up. So, so he's doing a little bit of protection of his reputation, but I really think he's just curious. Because what has he seen so far? Or he's at least heard of, this guy changed water into wine. I guarantee you, the most religious man who was walking the planet, Nicodemus, before Jesus stepped on the scene, had never seen anything like that. And that was just the one recorded. He's probably healing physically sick people. And so Nicodemus, really curious about who this man is, approaches him by night, searching for the truth. So we're going to have two primary thoughts today. The first one's verse 1 through 8. The last one is going to be 9 through 15. But but here's the first one. 
This is what Jesus is drilling into Nicodemus' mind. God is the one in charge of your salvation. This is going to be a radical shift for him to hear. Because this guy's a teacher of God's law. Which means this guy dedicates his life to upholding law after law after law. And if there's anyone who would be worthy in that standard to earn salvation, who is it? It's Nicodemus. It's Nicodemus. But Jesus is going to flip this perspective. And he's going to do this through three phrases. The first one is that you must be born again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And like Jesus does very often, he just gets straight to the point. He doesn't say, hey, thanks. Thanks for the compliment. I appreciate it. I am from God. He just comes straight to his authority, and he says, truly, truly. And when he says truly, truly, what he's essentially saying is, Nicodemus, you better listen, because this is as true as it's going to get. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus had that funny question back. Can he be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb for a second time? But how many of you guys kind of grew up in this born again culture or movement? Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Born again, that was just like a a title at the front of your Christianity. Like, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. What are you? Is there another one? I don't know. But but most of the time we think of born again, and and I actually think when we think of born again, we actually go to, I'm born again because I've responded. Because I've chosen. I've trusted Jesus. This is is from uh, Christianity Today. This This is a quote that I pulled from them. Born again, it's an expression used by many Protestants to define the moment or the process of fully accepting. Right, there's the piece, of fully accepting. So born again, even when we think of this phrase, I think we even closely tie it to to our response. It's a description of what we've done. But here's the ironic part. All of you mothers probably have a greater understanding of this. Who is actually not in control when birth happens? The one being born. (laughs) The one being born has no control over the situation. And so it is with God. Nicodemus, you do not have control of your salvation. You need to be born of God. If you guys remember in chapter 1, he actually gave us a sneak peek into what this meant. This is what he said. But to all who did receive him, and we're going to get there because we have a responsibility, who believed in his name. Who's next in this? It's actually God. God gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God gives it, and God gives you birth. God gives you the right to be called a child of God, and God gives you a spiritual birth. This is the first phrase. You must be born again. Who's in charge? Oh, come on. You guys sound like my students. Who's in charge of salvation? God is. God's in charge. This is the first one. The second is this. He uses this phrase, water and spirit. Water and spirit. This is what he says in the text. Jesus answered, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh and flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You guys have any guesses as to what water and spirit is? We kind of know what the spirit is, right? It's especially when it's a capital S. We're like, I, I think I got that one. That's the Holy Spirit. Yes, you need to have the Holy Spirit. You guys have any guesses as to what the water is? Oh, bapti- I heard baptism. Oh, physical birth. Water's there. Yep. Any other guesses? You guys actually have two of the ones that we're going to walk through. The first one's baptism. All right, here's an option. Water and spirit. We got baptism. Why would we think baptism? Well, we, we just had John the Baptist. Right, we just had John the Baptist on the scene, and what was he doing? He was baptizing people. He was baptizing people as a foreshadow to what Christ is going to do. So baptism is absolutely a legitimate thought here. Uh, repentance. It could, water could mean this, this symbol of, of, of our doing. It's like being born again, right? We need to be the one to repent. We need our doing and we need God's doing. We need his spirit and we need our repentance. And then you guys hit this last one, a physical birth, right? You have to be a human. You have to be born physically and spiritually if you want to enter the kingdom of God. But he's talking to Nicodemus, and if you guys remember, who is Nicodemus? What is Nicodemus more familiar with than anybody on the face of the planet? The law, the Old Testament. This is what I love about Jesus. So where do you think Jesus goes in his response to Nicodemus? The Old Testament. He says, here's, here's what I mean, Nicodemus. I'm actually going to tell you a story and point you back to this text in Ezekiel. And just in case you guys were going to miss it, there's a lot of bold up there. This is the text in Ezekiel that would have been ringing in Nicodemus' head. I will sprinkle clean water, there's the water, on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You guys get the point? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's not in control here? Nicodemus. (laughs) But this guy's the teacher of Israel. The spiritual guru. The religious man of all religious men who are walking around And Jesus is pointing him back to Nicodemus, you can not control your salvation. Look back to what I've given you in the Old Testament. I will, I will, I will, says God. Do we need to repent? Yes, okay, thank you. Yes, yes, that is absolutely necessary. But the foundation of this that Jesus is building with Nicodemus is I have to be the one to give this to you. So you must be born again, and God must move. If you want spiritual life, God must be the one to give that. And just for good measure, he gives him a third example, and he uses the wind. This is what he says. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, are, are you guys watching the Masters at all? Uh, you guys thought you were going to get rid of golf. I'm so sorry. Nobody's watching the Masters. Anybody? Uh, just, just give me two hands. Yes, okay. So the last two days, what has been the primary condition that has been ruining the scores of the golfers? Wind. <laughs> I love watching professionals. These guys have shot thousands and thousands of golf shots. And occasionally, when it's really windy, they'll get up to the ball. They'll think, they'll back off, they'll talk to their caddy. They'll kind of like throw the grass up in the air. They'll wait a second. Why are they doing this? Because you can't control the wind. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hoping that the wind just dies down. It's like they're like, okay, 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 let's go. <laughs> There's no controlling the wind at all. I played Friday, and I might or might not have lost to Chapman. Don't ask him. It was embarrassing. All right, but, but there was a shot where my normal yardage for a 9-iron is about 155 yards. You guys don't care. But I hit it into the wind, and I was 25 yards short of the green, and I hit it solid. Right? I, but I, I look out there, and all I see, my physical eye can see, is my ball and the hole. What can I not see? I cannot see the wind. <laughs> I cannot see the power of the wind. I could feel a little bit. You can kind of sense it, but I could not see it and see how powerful it is. And so there's no controlling the wind. And he's using this as an example because he's saying, Nicodemus, just like the wind, God's actually in control of where he sends his spirit. Right? What's one of the primary roles of Nicodemus? It's to help the people around him come to God and worship. And the point that Jesus is making with him is, Nicodemus, as much as you don't have control over your own salvation, God must move. Even what you're doing with other people, God's in control of their salvation. <laughs> this, is, this is the root of the sovereignty of God in our salvation, is God must be the one to move. And we're going to revisit this, but if you guys remember what the big idea is, any move that we make, so, so we haven't gotten there, any move that we make toward God, it, it's evidence that he's moving. So we got this piece, he's in charge of our salvation, he's the one who needs to move. But are we left out of this process? Not at all, not at all. So the second piece is this, is God actually gives salvation so generously to everyone who believe in him. Or as John 1 put it, who believe in his name. Who put all of their trust in him. And so there's a big piece of this that we're going to learn from Nicodemus and, and some of the things in which he was doing really well. He was searching. He was searching for the truth. Now we got to cut him some slack because... Uh, Holy Week hasn't happened yet in Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation. Jesus has not been crucified. Jesus has not been resurrected. And so all Nicodemus sees, and I have a lot of uh, compassion for this guy, is he just sees another human being across from him. Right? It's, it is God, but it's God in the flesh, and so he, he doesn't get it all. And so we're, as we search, because this is still our responsibility, our role in this, we got to trust that he's moving, but we search for the truth of Christ. And, and I think we find this in a couple primary ways. 
This is what he says in the text. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Are you the smartest guy here? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I, have, if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Nicodemus had a piece of this. He had a good chunk of it. The Old Testament's two-thirds of our scripture. Now, is it as clear about who Jesus is, and is it as clear about what he's accomplished as the New Testament? No, I don't think so. I think the New Testament gets pretty dang clear as to who Jesus is. But there are pieces of the Old Testament, and Jesus is just highlighting a couple in this conversation of, Nicodemus, you, you had enough to have a greater understanding of who's sitting across from you in this conversation. Because what's the irony in this? You have the teacher of Israel, but you have the son of God, the son of man, sitting across from him. And he's wrestling with whether to give his life to him. So you have that which is revealed in the Old Testament. You have this text in Ezekiel. We're about to look at another one in Numbers. You have the texts in Isaiah that are pretty clear about his crucifixion. You have some prophecies about a virgin birth. That one seems pretty clear. I think there was only one of those. Right, so you have some pieces where Nicodemus actually just missed it. He missed it, but, but we got to have some compassion for him because he's searching for the truth. And then what we have that Nicodemus did not have is we have this more full picture of who Jesus is, and we have all of these other writings of what Jesus accomplished, of the significance of the crucifixion and the resurrection, of the truth that he's coming again one day. And Nicodemus didn't have all of that. And so as much as we need to trust that God is moving, we, we have a responsibility in this to choose, to trust, to treasure. I, I hope it's why we're here today. What else is there to celebrate? I mean, the angels finally won a game last night. That was worthy of celebration. But this, this is way better the fact that Jesus is God and the fact that God is working in our lives is the pinnacle of what is worthy of celebration. And so as we do this, we look to Jesus for our salvation. And he uses kind of an obscure story um, to, to get his point across. And, and this is the text in John. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he's pulling, right? Nicodemus is this guy who understands scripture. So anytime Jesus starts using these, these examples, these metaphors, uh, pulling from the Old Testament, Nicodemus' ears had to have been ringing. Of, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I remember that story. And this is the story. It says, and the people came to Moses, little, little context, um, Israel, like uh, most of the Old Testament, is walking through a season of disobedience, <laughs> and they have decided to not put their faith in God, and God sends this obscure judgment upon the people. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, <laughs> for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Please pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. A lot of serpents in the story. So what was happening? They disobeyed, and God sent these poisonous serpents to go about all of the Israelites and just start biting them. <laughs> and so what was happening? Israelites were dropping down dead. Because who could stop this? God sent snakes. That sounds horrifying. You thought snakes on a plane was bad. This, this. God sent snakes. That's the next bad. I, uh, I hate snakes anyway, so this would be horrifying. But so he sends these, these snakes who are poisonous and they're killing people. And so the people, as they've suffered enough, they're like, all right, God, we'll turn back to you. Please intercede for us. And so he's, he tells Moses, he commands Moses, he actually gives Moses the way out and he says, okay, build a fiery serpent, one build of, of, of bronze and, and put it on a pole. And so what happens is, he says, if anyone looks at this, they will be saved, delivered, healed. Words that should definitely shift to this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. And the two parts of the story is this. Guess what? I sent the snakes, and if I didn't provide a way out, there was going to be no deliverance. Likewise, with salvation, God provided a way to be saved. And in those last two verses, Jesus is given a little bit of a foreshadowing of what's coming in his life. As he says, just like he was lifted up, or the serpent was lifted up, so too the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And as God is working in your life, because here's, here's the cool part. You got that wind. God has to blow his Holy Spirit into your life. And the cool part about this conversation is that's exactly what God is doing in Nicodemus' life. Nicodemus is not at a point where he treasures God yet. And what I love about this story is the conversation just kind of drops off. We don't get Nicodemus' response to everything. In fact, he doesn't pop onto the scene until chapter 7, and then he's going to just pop up one other time at the end. And there's going to be little glimpses of him maybe having this conversation changing his life. But this is the piece. God moves and we respond in faith. So there's some pretty cool implications for us. If this is your first time back in church in a while, maybe ever, maybe you're not as far along as you would like, but, but you're even in a season where you're more convicted, you're, you're, you're thinking about it. The coolest piece about this is God is working. Remember the big idea, any move, any move before conversion, after conversion, any move that we have toward God is what? It's evidence that he, the almighty, holy God, loves you enough to draw you closer to him. And if you treasure Christ today, <laughs> I would slap my head if I was bald, but I care about my head. <laughs> Guys, God has worked in your life so much that he's gotten you to a point where you have dropped to your knees spiritually and you said, God... I need you. And all that is, is it's evidence of this incredible God working 
joyfully to draw you closer. Absolutely amazing. So I got to ask a few, of, uh, a few of my friends and a few people around here, man, how does it feel? How does it feel knowing that this kind of God would work in your salvation? I feel known and loved. Humbled. I'm thankful. Overwhelmed. Awestruck. Special. Perceived. Soul-quenching. I feel really reflective. Comforted. Joy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> Safe. Bougie. Mm. Cherished. Grateful. Thankful. Amazed. <laughs> Joyful. Honored. I feel relieved. Grateful. I feel blessed. Awestruck. Comforted. I feel at peace. Really, really spoiled. <laughs> what else would you expect from Todd? And then, guys, I've thought about this for the last two weeks. And I look back at seasons of my life before I was saved. Walking in disobedience. Walking in frustration, in lack of faith right in front of a holy God. And yet his response has been to continue to, like the wind, blow his Holy Spirit in my life. And now that I finally treasure Christ, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than thank you. I cannot believe that a holy and loving and righteous God would work in my own life to the point that I treasure him. It is a gift unlike any other. And I hope that if you're wrestling with Christianity, with Christ, that, that you would have a little bit of celebration, that God is even working in the midst of your confusion and your frustration and your doubt. That even still, he sends his spirit to continue to draw us closer. So I just wanted to give a couple minutes. And let you think, what does this reality mean for you? What does it mean to you that God, all along, has been working by sending his spirit in your direction? I'm just going to give you guys a couple minutes. Just go ahead and think about it. Man, is he worthy of our praise or what? <laughs> he is way too good to us. So, so here, here's what we're going to take away. What can we celebrate more of? What could, be more, what could we do to be more intentional about our faith, about our reflection? And this one, this is the foundation of praise. Let's just celebrate that he's moving. <laughs> to be at a church that loves scripture, 
that cares passionately about who God is and that has a body that's unified in loving one another and loving God, guys, this is a reason to celebrate. If he's convicting you, if he's drawing you closer, if you're thinking more deeply about him, celebrate. This is the the fulfillment of Hosanna is to continue to praise him for who he is. And then I think we could pray with even greater hope, greater expectation that he would continue to generously send his spirit in our direction to fill us with life and hope and joy on account of his moving. And as we receive it, we just reflect that back to him and we say, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me this. And the last one is this. You know, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I wrestle with the most is entrusting everyone's salvation to God. That's something I just feel such a burden, a responsibility for, and I'm sure as a parent you would feel that too. But this is the reality is, is God not in control of sending his spirit to them too? So let's pray for them. Let's do what we can to model and reflect the truth of Christ. But the reality is if God's spirit does not move, nothing's going to happen. Doesn't matter what you preach. Doesn't matter how much you know the scriptures. God must move. I hope we continue to reflect on that text in Ezekiel. I will. I will. (laughs) I will. I will cause you. This is on God. And so it As far as we've come and as far as we want to go, we entrust our salvation to God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Man, God, you are incredibly gracious. God, to continue to send your spirit as you are holy and perfect into sinful people's lives amazes me that you would love me, that you would care about me enough to blow your spirit in my direction and cause me to love you. God, it's the root of my praise that you have moved. So God, would this week, uh, would this week allow us to become more intentional in thinking about you and reflecting upon your goodness and your sovereignty, and just how much you have moved in our life. So God, thank you for this place. Would we go forward with a greater gratitude for your love? Amen.